someone do an intro or, you know, is it, it's just, is it no, just this is the, the most unprofessional just, podcast just fate, you'll ever we, be on. Oh, no, that's high praise. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. <laughs> All right. Yay, it's yeah. Mike McCormick. Woo, yeah, yeah. Woo. Are we going to do the usual thing, Mark, where you, you ask me how I am and I say, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> no, no, no. We're past that. <laughs> We, yeah, that's. I, I know. After eight episodes in, I don't care how you are. No, I mean the usual thing where we get the. Yeah, you know, we're too lazy to introduce the guest, oh, and we get them to introduce themselves. Yeah, we should spring that on Mike. We should, because we are springing it on you. Like, so we don't actually introduce anybody on this podcast. We let you frame your own reality. So that what that means is you have to explain to the listeners who you are. Fantastic. Okay. Do I have to explain to them why I'm here? That's up to you. You can do whatever you want. My name is Mike McCormick, and I am here because I'm available. <laughs> Someone would call that desperate for attention, but no, I just call it, uh, it's a sound career move. I, you know, I just try to keep all the dates and times open just in case a paying gig could come up. So yeah, and I've known Mark for what seems like 700 million years, maybe a little less. But uh, He described it to me as an arrogant worm, which I didn't quite know how to take that. Well, uh, it's essentially a, a character description uh, and, and also a, a resume at the same time. I play in a musical comedy troupe called The Arrogant Worms. I could call us Canada's finest musical comedy troupe, but yeah, most yeah. years were Canada's only musical comedy troupe. It, it does um, feel like that. You know, I guess it's a Highlander thing. <laughs> we just keep chopping the heads off a little for, and, you know, then it's fine. But no, no one seems to want to enter this lucrative world of singing fart jokes. I don't know. <laughs> we, you know, we've made such a, such a massive career out of it. But you, importantly, you have made a career out of it. Yeah, we have made a career it's, out it's of it. It's pretty impressive. It's it's stunning, as a, and and a, a testament to not finding anything better to do at any point in our career. Honestly, the group started as uh, four guys getting together on a, a university campus, doing uh, radio sketches, trying to make each other laugh started occasionally doing songs, put together a tape, a cassette tape. For all you youngsters out there, a cassette tape is kind of like an MP3, which I guess even MP3s are dead. Um, it's kind of like streaming only with a, a strip of something. It's like scotch tape, but with music. <laughs> <laughs> it's like scotch tape. And, and, and the best part, if you leave it out in your, in your car, out in the sun, it takes on a whole new musical take. It suddenly becomes atonal, classical. Uh, yeah. I used to use cassette tapes to actually scrape the ice off the window in our well that was what was great about cds because that really upped the game for ice scraping yes you know <laughs> yes. Yeah. multiple uses multiple uses yeah and then as mp3 it's like well these are useless <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. digital only like come on this is no help at all yeah they weren't really thinking of the canadian car owner when when they switched to switch to streaming services <laughs> you know yeah and I, i'm surprised no uh, you know even when blackberry was 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 like hot in the smartphone market they never made one that could double as a good ice scraper <laughs> 
<laughs> in the Motorola Razor, it was sort of like hard edged, you know. <laughs> they should have like the Motorola Scraper. <laughs> yeah, in the first generation, you could just put the phone on the windscreen, and it was the heat from the battery would That's melt right. the ice. Yeah. yeah, just as fast. Yeah. yeah. Now, oh, wait. Okay, so we got to back up a second. Who okay. who is who are the other worms? Uh, the other worms are uh, Trevor Strong and Chris Patterson. Chris joined the group in 1995, and we we still like to call him the new guy. And one, oh, once, like uh, the drummer of Rush, Neil. They always referred to him as the new guy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. And um, I thought you said there's four. Yeah, we had there were, and as soon as we started touring, one of the guys. Uh, even going from at the time it was uh Kingston to near Ottawa he uh for like a weekend tour i believe he packed a hockey bag uh full of stuff and uh at least half of the bag was full of hair care products this was a man <laughs> not destined for a touring lifestyle okay especially like can you imagine if he brought that to the the check-in counter at Air Canada today <laughs> like and he actually had hair kind of like yarn. It was actually quite surprising that, that, that it took this much product to come up with that. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, so once again, and, and one, of, one of the hallmarks of our band is, well, you don't quit on us. We just won't replace you. That'll teach you. <laughs> and because I have two engineering degrees, I was able to quickly point out that if you divide the huge amount of money by three rather than by four, it's a greater number. Wow, and I love how you slip yeah, the uh, the yeah. two engineering degrees in there. That's yeah. uh, I, I just want I just want your listeners to know I'm, I'm I'm eminently qualified for this talk about CDs and and cassette tapes. Like, <laughs> I understand I understand the subtleties of magnetic recording media. <laughs> so was the second one the second one was a master's degree, right? That's right. Was it in metallurgy? It was also in in metallurgy. Yeah, that's pretty. I, uh, that's pretty awesome. I've always had the clever foresight to uh, graduate from technical degrees in the the teeth of recessions. It's surprising I didn't do another degree just now. <laughs> I, I guess I've really learned. <laughs> so, so yeah, there weren't a lot of jobs to be had, and and uh, yeah, when our band started and started to try to tour it was basically i was going from being a, a graduate student to a canadian musician so it wasn't like an economic stretch <laughs> yeah you were you were living the dream yeah i was living, living the dream and so this dream, and I guess this is where we have something in common. You you guys were on CBC Radio. Yeah, I mean the the group yeah. essentially our start was was CBC. Like um, we we'd come out with these uh, what we thought were very clever radio sketches and occasional uh, uh, very equally clever songs. And we had one song that was very Canadian. It was about cross border shopping which was an issue in whenever we wrote that 1989. And it, it, it's the gift that keeps on giving if you're a border community. And, and, and so we uh, got a bunch of our friends together into the radio station at the Queens campus. And we 
once again, the, the theme of this, this conversation seems to be cassettes. We got all these cassettes and mailed them to every show that we could find an address for. Remember those days when you had to like look through a book to find an address? And then the more shocking thing was that the, the cassettes actually made it to these shows and two of them played it. So we ended up having a song played on national radio before we had material, essentially, or an act. <laughs> and so, wow, yeah, that's. Uh, I'm both impressed and making a note to myself to book younger guests on this podcast. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, finding musical comedy acts, no matter how young. <laughs> good luck. So, okay, who did you work with in uh... we, our 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 first sort of national thing was was with uh, it was called the radio show based out of Winnipeg. Okay. And then we had an ongoing thing with a show called Basic Black, which was hosted by Arthur Black. And uh, produced out of Toronto by... I worked on Basic Black, uh, yeah. Did you? Yeah. So did you know David Malahoff? I did, yes. So David was kind of our champion. He sort of got us right away, and he liked the way we interacted with Arthur. David was the most amazingly organized human I've ever met. Like, he had the show planned about eight weeks in advance, but was within that was able to... Because we were touring at this point. Right, and so he he sort of say like, well, when are you going to be back in Southern Ontario? And we sort of, oh, well, look, looks like we'll be in early November. Okay, well, you know, these are a couple theme shows we're working on. If you have a song that has anything to do with that, uh, we'll get you in. And then so we we get in and then get a conversation recorded, and it went out to their loyal fans. Wow. And then Arthur moved out to Salt Spring Island, and we actually tried to move out west at the time, and that worked well. We were there for uh, two years, and I uh, got, I think, three actual bookings in BC at the time, but lots of bookings in Ontario. So, yeah, the key to getting bookings in Ontario is put mountains in between you, and then then the, the work just comes rolling in. Um, and. <laughs> Yeah, and and but and then then we also made made some good connections with some of the regional shows. So our best was with in Ottawa, and once again there were there were just a couple people there. The noon show, for whatever reason, we just got along really well. So that was hosted by a guy named Dave Stevens at the time, and the producer was uh, Liz Hay. So the same sort of thing. Whenever when we were in the area, they found a reason to have us on. Oh yeah, it's it's like. Yeah, it's Thursday. Let's have <laughs> which was great. But the other weird thing in the whole CBC, and you would probably know this even better and have better tales than I can, is once you do one show, the rest of the CBC thinks you're their property and they cannot touch you. Hmm. And there's this, I would almost, and I use the word arrogance that. Every listener of CBC listens 24 hours a day and will somehow get ticked off if the same band is heard twice in, I don't know, a month by, you know, two different shows. Oh, all you're doing is featuring them. So the, the success we had with one show basically cut us off from every other show. Like people would always say like, well, you know, why haven't you been on, oh shoot, I can't even remember his name. They, 
You know, Stuart McLean. We, we, well, that's why you were never invited to that show because you can't even remember the name of the. That that probably yeah. didn't help. Was, yeah, <laughs> but like we were never on his program because we were basic black. So we had homework, or I I didn't know if we took it as homework, but I did. So I did too. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. Cool. So yeah. what, what we like to do in this podcast is to ask our guests. It's show and tell, basically. It's the adult version of show and tell. Bring some piece of art that you would like people to know about. So what did you bring? All right. Well, for, for my homework, uh, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, if I was being a, a, a good, uh, you know, public school student and sucking up, I would have had like a nice poster and, 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 and individualized <laughs> to both of you. Well, here's something that I got for both of you. It's, it, it's a CD and, <laughs> and inside of it is a, is a, is an, a cassette tape. So I decided, uh, since we were talking about creativity. And so I was trying to think of, of something that I thought really showcased that. So it's, it's a piece of classical music called Appalachian Spring by the composer Aaron Copland. Now, it, it's a fairly iconic piece of music that has gotten used in many other forms over the years. So, so I, I did a little bit of research and it, it was first written and performed in the early 40s and probably was uh, not very memorable because there were other world things going on, apparently, in the early 40s. The, the, the thing I found, I find really amazing about, about this piece, and, and it, it's also about Copeland. So Copeland, and, and I think I'm finding this, and I don't know if this is similar for you guys. I, I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here. When I first started playing and writing music, I kind of had this more of this vision of it was kind of a gift of the gods. Like some people had it and some people don't have it. And I still think that's true. But what, what I'm now realizing as, as an old grumpy man and, 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 and started realizing this, you know, as, as one went along in, 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 in the career is that so much of it is craft and so much of it is experience and, 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 and so much of it is dissecting every other thing that you've learned and seen and heard and trying to, trying to make that into what you do. So Aaron Copeland was, was trying to be a classical composer, but in, in his era, so he was born in 1900, you were not taken seriously if you were an American trying to compose symphonic music. So he traveled to Europe and started learning from people there. Although his, his most important musical theory teacher, and, and you know this is a little piece of trivia that I just found out last year from one of my daughter's musical teachers, is there was a very famous Canadian woman named Nadia Boulanger, who was the guru of musical theory um she just had a better way of teaching and and she was the one you went to and and one of her final students was Aaron copeland there's a famous story of her like when she met george gershwin later on because he thought well i got i have to learn from her uh, she just heard, sort of heard what he was writing and and said i can't teach you anything do mm. what you do it's great <laughs> Wow. So he, he goes to Europe and he, he tries to learn from, from these masters. And, and, and then he says, okay, 
this is all great stuff, but it's not American music. I want to write American music. And so he goes back home and, and starts trying to write American music. And he also starts experimenting with all sorts of atonal, awful, awful stuff, in my opinion, and everybody else's. <laughs> Just listen to it. It's crap. He would huh. tell you it's crap. He's dead now. But, you know, he, he's, still, he's still not proud of it. Um, and, and, but this experimentation and, and all this knowledge, eventually then he, then he starts coming around to it. He starts finding his own voice. And it's music that somehow creates this, this feeling of space, this feeling of frontier, which European music didn't do at the time, probably still doesn't do as well. And no one managed to do it better than him. And this particular piece started as a ballet and, and it was supposed to be a ve- and is a very simple story of like a young couple building a house on the American prairie, getting married, meeting people and starting a life. And so it's got very simple themes. And and one of the the most famous theme in it is one he nicked from like an American religious group uh, called the Shakers. And it's a very recognizable tune that's called Simple Gifts. It goes da 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 It became a hymn, Lord of the Dance. And I've heard it as a drinking song. But he turns it into, and, and this is where I get to sort of the craft versus inspiration. He takes this theme and it starts as just like one instrument playing. And then, then it, it goes to another instrument. It's almost like this orchestral ping pong going on. And then it becomes like the brass come in and every, everything else plays. And it becomes this big frenetic thing. And then it dies down to nothing again. And, it, and it's just, again, you're left with this theme that kind of feels like, oh, you know, I'm out in the country just looking around. I've heard many recordings of this. I've recently got to see it live at the NAC in Ottawa with a world-class orchestra playing it and still finding new things in it. You know, and, and this is, an, again, another tangent and an aside. This was a concert that I wish every kid in the world could hear in that particular space with that good an orchestra. Because if you could walk away from that saying, I hate classical music, I hate symphonic music, then that's fine. I, I, you're right. Because if you can't like this, then no, this ain't for you. But until you've experienced that... <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you you don't know what it can be because in that, you know, this wonderful acoustic space with wonderful players playing it, you get the full power of what an orchestra can do and what this music can do to do to you. I mean, I, I was in tears. There were other people around in tears and, and parts of this piece are like I said, it's like one instrument, like a 50-piece orchestra. It's just like one instrument going. Mm-hmm. And it's just that simplicity. It's it's almost like, and you find this in so, so many different arts. It's figuring out what to leave out. And, and, and in this case, Laren Copeland figured out what to leave out. And that was everything <laughs> except this guy. But because most European symphonic music would never pare it down to that kind of thing where it was just one instrument playing the theme and literally like nothing even padding it. It made it sound new and fresh. Mm-hmm. Wow. Even though 
it's not like it's a new musical form. It's not like it's a new, it's not even a new tune. You didn't even write the tune. <laughs> yeah, I recognized the tune. I was like, I know that. I think yeah. I sang that. In, I think I sang that in choir. Yeah. Yeah. So so sorry to bring this back to like early days of Arrogant Worms touring. There was a band that was actually from London, Ontario, a Celtic band. And I can't remember what they called themselves, but they were like most Canadian Celtic rock bands. They were the We Drink Too Much band. And but but they they had made a drinking song out of, out of that. It was drink then wherever because I am the drunk and disorderly. It was pretty good. And we get the whole and a whole pub like <laughs> like cheering and dancing, wow. and it's just like yeah, I've seen this as a ballet too. But there were fewer people puking. <laughs> I have I have so many questions about this. First of all, I'm struck that that we started this podcast on a very humorous, joking note, and that your background is is a comedian, and yet the piece of music that you're bringing forth to us and and to anybody listening to this podcast is a really serious composition. Yeah. Can I jump in there? Yeah. Because I've I've known Mike for quite a long time, and he is, I mean, an amazingly talented musician. And the arrogant, one of the things about the Arrogant Worms that was amazing was that they could imitate any style of music. And it sounded like that style. It was It was astonishing how good they were at that. So... Right, because you yeah. are a serious musician. Then. Yeah, that's the thing. Mike is a yeah. serious musician. And he always has been, even though you know what what comes out out, out is like fart jokes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> symphonic fart jokes, basically. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So I, that doesn't surprise me, but it's it's it, but it's true. It's interesting how these two things blend together. And if I've noticed that we've only had what's this our seventh conversation like this or eighth, seventh or eighth, yeah, yeah, somewhere in there that it does get serious. Because it's a serious topic. Like, what moves you as an artist is a serious thing. Well, yeah. I mean, you're 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 kind of cutting to the core, and 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 you know. But within that, myself, and I'm pretty sure anyone else you talk to, if if they actually care about it, it's gonna, you know, maybe serious isn't the right word, but you're 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 gonna get some passion. But yeah, I mean, within within our band, it, it, it was like, yeah, we're going for the laughs. But, you know, whether you've tried to write or perform comedy, like, yeah, you can sometimes get away with fart jokes and fall and falling on a banana peel. But if you're going to try and go with wordplay, you got to be pretty smart. And sometimes sometimes it takes, a, you know, a lot of sweat and a lot of toil to figure out that ass rhymes with grass hmm. <laughs> you know? and, oh wait that could work <laughs> well because yeah there's some real artistry involved I, i'm thinking of course you know the obvious example of uh of mighty python and their humorous songs which yeah, were they were all like pre-law weren't they long and, and clever really yeah. clever some of them eric the half a bee and what's the the one where now he's I'm gonna start singing <laughs> yeah always look on the bright side of death yeah yes yeah. So what what do you play, Mike? What instrument? Well, honestly, I I, I started on piano, um, started playing guitar because it was hard it was hard to carry around to a, you know a college dorm room, and uh, you know playing guitar that that gets the girls right, um, <laughs> and uh, that's where I went wrong. Okay, uh, yeah, and 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 
stuck with guitar, became a guitar player in the band. And then over the last, I would say, five to 10 years, I mean, I, I worked for six, seven years as, as a church organist. So learned how to play the organ, and but mostly was playing piano there. How did the fart jokes go over in church? Um, I kept a lot of them to myself, but I would still, I would, I would, I would still find different rhymes to the hymns that the hymn writer didn't seem to explore. Um, but I'll tell you this: that once again, getting all nerdy, hymn writing is another form of of songwriting, and the best hymns are these four line very like a b a b rhyme schemes and some of them have have you know go with the the not a refrain but the last line is the same each time and very very rigid metering Mm -hmm. and a lot of that is because sorry to get into the weeds on this but a lot of times uh when you were writing hymn lyrics you wrote to a meter because you didn't write to a tune because you assume that 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 the congregations couldn't read music, so they would learn certain tunes which would have specific meters, and then just sing whatever words you gave them. A good hymn has this da 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 and I love the trombone. Could I, if I could be, you know, lead trombone player in the Arrogant Worms, and I am. I, <laughs> I, I, <you> know. <laughs> so where were you when you first heard Appalachian Spring? I was studying for an exam and Aaron Copeland had just passed away. I was probably listening to CBC. And so they were featuring that work and it was probably fairly late at night. And uh, I don't think I was doing particularly well on the studying. So I paid more attention to the radio than to inorganic chemistry. And honestly, it was a piece of music that when I heard it, and maybe there was other stuff going on in my life, and I don't remember that, but it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And again, I had heard pieces of it before. Like I Like one of the themes was used for like, a PBS program for years and, and other, other snippets had been used in different things because it it does create such a sense of space and, and, and things. So, so it's the perfect music for like national geographic specials show showing, you know, the, you know, the, the, the cheetah lies in wait for its prey. <laughs> oh, da, da, you know? it's, it's funny when I was listening to it, I was imagine, I was like, have I, is there like a Disney movie that's this? Cause that's what was happening in my head was I was seeing yeah. like, you know, that forties Disney animation that they did, you know, mm-hmm. Bambi with. And I was imagining like the, the flurries of the wind is, you know, blowing the trees as the leaves are starting mm. to blossom. Yeah. And, like it just kind of had that imagery to it when I was watching. I was, it. it made, it put me in mind of Oklahoma, you know, the play for some reason it was, yeah, just that kind of yeah. vibe and reading up on it. I, I thought one of the amusing anecdotes was um, that people would come to the composer later and say, you, it was so evocative of the Appalachian trail. It really made me, you really captured the Appalachian trail, but apparently he didn't even have a name for it when he first performed it. The, the whole Appalachian thing came later. Yeah. 
but it, it was still meant to evoke the space and 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 the feeling and the and the, and the frontier and stuff. But no, and it, again, like so many great works, it was kind of dissed. And again, because he was American, it was never taken seriously as as a symphonic composition by by the the European snot nosers. And then because Mr. Copeland had ended up having a couple personal things run against him in America, A, he was gay, B, he was Jewish, C, he was very left wing. And, uh, you know, he ended up getting hauled in front of the McCarthy hearings and stuff like that. So, Oh, he was a part of that. Yeah, and and so it it was not even a part of American repertoire for years and years. And it wasn't really in style then, was it? Like, wasn't this like around the time Philip Glass was starting to do his weird stuff, and jazz yeah. was kind of like seen as the American art form? Yeah, yeah, I, th- okay. I think I think it was more that, and and you know, he Copeland himself tried to go into film music writing for a while and wrote which some makes sense, great stuff. Yeah. It just it wasn't for him. He didn't, he didn't like, you know, like anything else, he, you know, you have to make the contacts and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So it it was just, you know, that's more on a side on the, the business thing, but uh, I, I think it's got, it's now probably one of the more beloved pieces in, and I don't know how it's thought of in Europe, but certainly in Canada, it's, it's a, a beloved part of the repertoire. And, you know, you, you can tell that just by how many tickets are sold when, when that's on the bill of any, any symphony, because most world symphonies are desperate to try and sell tickets. And so it gets, it gets played relatively often because it's great and people want to hear it. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Has it had any greater impact on your life beyond enjoying it? Well, I would say yes, in terms of it's inspiring and depressing at the same time. When you hear something that that hits you that like, that is great. And a part of you says, God damn it, I want to try and write something that good. And then the other part of your brain's going, there's no hope in hell, stupid. (laughs) Stick to fart jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and I, I don't think when Copeland wrote it, he sort of said, well, this is my best work. I'm out. <laughs> See you at the sandwich shop. You know, he, he, he kept working away. And even that piece was reworked several times. Like it was initially a ballet for 12 instruments and then was turned into a symphonic piece and then expanded because when he first did the symphonic piece, he cut it down to half an hour and, you know, different things like that. So, so yeah, I, I would sort of say it, that's kind of a template. Like I, I would like to, you know, hope that the next thing I write synthesizes a whole bunch of stuff, including, you know, this conversation and somehow finds a way to go somewhere different that I haven't gone before, but it's still, it's still going to be me writing it. So, huh. okay. So now I need to know, cause it sounds like you, you are attempting some, some serious songwriting and, and probably have been for some time. So what have you, what have you come up with and what are you working on? Well, uh, it's, it's not even that, that, you know, tomorrow I'm going to write a symphonic piece. 
lately I've, I've been, you know, s- sort of trying to go back to kind of first principles and, and, and try to write kind of pop songs from the basic tools, but at the same time, then trying to go in a different way. And part of it, again, without getting into the weeds is like, I've really come at this whole music thing backwards personally, because, you know, I start, I start, you know, went through engineering, met a couple guys, started telling jokes, started started performing, you know, ended up making a career in it, and then started saying, you know, getting to the point where, you know, it was, it was kind of a combination of realizing, you know, I'm not actually that good a guitar player. I should get better at this. And then, then it's like, oh, you know, I'm actually not that good. At, I should actually learn about the music thing. And then, then you, you start finding out, Oh, you know, it looks like I was doing a few things right, just naturally. And, huh. But then, then you start realize, Oh yeah. But now that makes sense. Oh, I see. I see why that chord that makes sense. Cause, cause that's, uh, that's the 50% of, of, of the frequency of that, you know, like you can get, get, get uber nerdy. So, but, but yeah, I, the, the one thing, and, and it's, it's funny and and maybe it, it's it's part why this conversation is happening like mark and i reconnected through a bunch bunch of our old college friends months back and we with another mutual friend were were trying to work on a musical you know this would have been what 35 40 years ago like, it would have been you know, a while ago a while ago like yeah you know, a while ago yeah back in the cassette tape era yeah. <laughs> as we were moving to the compact disc era about and, to buy all of our uh, albums for this third time as the cds came in yeah. <laughs> that's right <laughs> and and that's one of the things that within the group i've been with the strength of what we do is writing individual songs that are 2 to 3 minutes long and that's what we do. And we've never been one of these uh, creative groups that suddenly wants to tell our fans, okay, this is what we do now. We've, we've sort of realized that this, this is what we do. We'll, we'll, we'll keep doing it. And, and we're, we're still willing to play the first song we ever performed. If you, if you want to hear it, that's, that's sort of the, the way we do things. But that doesn't mean I, I still, I still want to do stuff that has a bigger narrative. So right. Yeah. That that's kind of where I'm at. And, and I, I'm in a certain place right now, both life and location wise, where I got time on my hands. How is Manitoulin, by the way, it's, you moved to Manitoulin Island, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's gorgeous. And, and, uh, you know, I used to think living in Renfrew County was the middle of nowhere. And boy, that was an urban Mecca compared to this. So <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, it must be gorgeous this time of year though. Oh, it's, it's great. And, and it's funny, like again, telling, telling the, the same stories to, to new people, like again, fall and, and Christmas have always been icky times for me because I'm colorblind. And and so people will point out like, oh, look at the beautiful fall colors. Yeah, fuck you. It's it's <laughs> big sea of green. <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> oh, wow. look at the lovely Christmas lights. Yeah, yeah, it's a tree. <laughs> but no, it's it's like we, we had a beautiful day today, went for a hike in one of the area hiking trails and you know, saw 
some good stuff. So yeah, it's it it's I'm hoping that this is a whole new opportunity on many scales because because I don't to go on yet another tangent, but Manitoulin's an interesting place because it's got so much um, indigenous culture and history here, and the indigenous population is is such a high percentage of the people who live year round, and you know, hopefully we're entering an era where, where, where the rest of Canada, we're going to start dealing with this stuff. So hopefully this is an, a great time. I'm going to be positive here. Hopefully this is a great time in the history of this country to be in a situation like this and, and watch it grow. Like hopefully it's a chance to learn like, like a whole bunch of different storytelling and a whole, a whole, whole bunch of different stories. And then hopefully that comes into you know, like I say, the next thing that comes out, even if it's another fart joke. <laughs> it's more all grist for the mill. Yeah, that's right. So what did you think of it, Mark? Appalachian Spring. I really liked it. Actually, it's 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 funny because you're talking about it, Mike, and it's like, it kind of reminded me of Mozart a little bit. Because I think there's a couple of pieces of music he does where he does that sort of thing where it goes from one instrument to another. Now, probably it's not completely alone the way it is in Copeland's piece, but there's a little bit of that and kind of like, oh, I like that. That's because Mozart was my guy. I wrote a book about him. So I kind of like immediately went there. And then I thought Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Because it has that kind of, it does sort of have that kind of feel to it that you see in those, like, so it wouldn't surprise me that he tried to do uh, music for movies in that time period because it sort of seems like the right kind of symphonic sound. Because that's when that Warner Brothers Looney Tunes was coming out, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the. So did he influence Bugs Bunny, or did Bugs Bunny influence him? It probably was the, he probably influenced them. I would bet. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like the yeah, and yet another tangent. But the year the the summer before pandemic, we got to see a show at the NAC that was Bugs Bunny at the Symphony. So getting to watch these cartoons with, with the symphony playing and A, it was awesome. But but B, like they, they did have some nice stories ab- about, you know, the, the pieces like the 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 main composers for for uh, Warner Brothers. Like he was a big fan of certain operas, Rossini. Um, so Barber mm-hmm. Seville, obviously, but, but there, there were other pieces like they, they sort of played there. There's one piece that I think it's called Carnival of the Animals, but it was, it was like the Bugs Bunny or more the Roadrunner, like chase music. And, oh, right. and yeah. it was, was like played at like six times the tempo that it was originally supposed to be played at. So, so it was funny. They, they, they did that. This is the, now this is the song as it's supposed to be played. The guy conducts it and it's a, a nice sort of slow march. And this is how you're used to hearing it. <laughs> and it was great. And it was also, once again, this, this is the, the, the fun of seeing a symphony to actually see them physically like, it, it's not it, even though it was music it was road it's a roadrunner cartoon so like it's, 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 it's like coyote chasing a roadrunner and eventually getting squished by a rock but the technical skill to play that at that tempo like it's it's hmm. it's not it's not like a second year music student can pull that off you need it at this level of an orchestra to pull it off so it was it was kind of neat on all all these like little levels that, that that's part of what made 
that music great for those cartoons was that it was brilliant writing and brilliant performance to, <laughs> to have a rock fall on a cartoon coyote and go yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> just i would before. say the same thing as some of that di- that era of disney stuff too like not all of it but some of it like the one with mickey mouse where he becomes the wizard that one fantasia is yeah, that right yeah. fantasia yeah also like the music is amazing in it yeah and and yeah. the sinking of yeah. it the brilliance of of it you know especially for for people our age is that if you just played the soundtrack you can see the cartoon like, <laughs> like mm. it's that's that's how well it goes together it's musical art on its own but the the whole with it with the cartoon and the writing of the cartoon it just creates a whole new form which is genius and there there is a fart joke in the Appalachian Spring too <laughs> oh yeah it's really cheeky i can't remember it's, it's it's like near the end it's not the end but there's like a part where i you know when they put the the <laughs> the plunger inside the trumpet, it goes, <laughs> and I was like, is that a fart joke? <laughs> I'm not making that up, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. 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 Oh, oh no. It's probably passed off as no, no, they're, they're just working the fields. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I imagine a cow or something or oxen. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So that was my oh. thoughts. Yeah. I, I didn't listen to it twice. I just listened to it once. And I didn't do a whole bunch of research. I was tempted to, but because I, I thought for sure I'd heard it before. Um, and then for sure, the the little hymn that's in the middle of it, I know that I sang that in a, a version of that in a choir yeah. at some point. But now, will you listen to it again? Did it make your Spotify playlist? <laughs> well, I don't have Spotify because Uncle Neil told me I shouldn't anymore. Oh. Okay. Yeah, Neil Young. Rock on, Uncle yeah, Neil. Uncle, Uncle, Neil Young. I do miss Neil on there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, yeah. So I used something else, uh, but yeah, I'll listen to it again. Cause I do actually like classical music. I listen to it. Um, it's one of the favorite things I like to play when I'm writing. In fact, is classical yeah. music because I can have it going and it can inspire me, but it doesn't direct me in any way because there's yes. no words. Uh, same thing with jazz. If, if it's just instrumental jazz, I can listen to jazz and I find jazz a bit harder though. Well, actually, some classical music too. It's hard to not get distracted by how cool it is. But <laughs> I used to. I do. I have a uh, I have a mellow playlist which I keep adding to all the time. And uh, Appalachian Spring made the the mellow playlist. It's on there, so I will hear it uh, many times in the future. Cool. Now back to the uh, the arrogant worms. Okay, I, I'm curious. So you guys did. Um, and do musical comedy. And there is a, you know, despite your assertion that, uh, that this isn't uh, necessarily a hugely lucrative uh, gig, there are other people out there who do this. I'm thinking of people that I worked with on CBC radio, like John wing and George Westerholm, who did that sort of thing and uh, recorded them doing uh, comedy musical bits. Now, do you guys, you know, commingle, do you influence one another? Do you, are you aware of one another? Not, really anymore i mean there there used to be you know when we were touring a lot harder we used to get more bookings as part of a bill or we we used to get bookings occasionally as uh, you know the musical act at a comedy festival or we've we've been booked at at literary festivals as again as the musical act but uh 
you know, those things were drying up for us pre-pandemic. So this past summer, we actually finally got to do a couple gigs where we were at like folk music festivals. And that that's the only time we ever get to see and, you know, interact with other acts who are doing the same sort of, well, you know, musically at least, the, the same same kind of thing that we, we do. So, no, the life of a comic or or musician in this country, if if your income is is from live performance, you don't cross paths that often. Hmm. Um, even if you're in the same town, and unless there's one particularly cheap hotel that all the all the <laughs> venues book, then you might see see them at the Continental Breakfast the next morning. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm joking, but I'm not joking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. So. Yeah, and, and I mean, like even even this summer, the, getting to see a couple couple uh, acts that we hadn't seen in a while, and and you try to think of ways, like you know, how could we work together? And it's you, you have to find a, a reason to do it that you really want to do it because it makes no economic sense because because hmm. no venue's going to book two acts that have about the same drawing power, right? Or, it's a little too bad, isn't it, that uh, it's so uh, economically driven? Yeah. It, well, it, it's as soon as, as soon as you decide to do it for a living, <laughs> it, it kind of, you know, un, unless you know we can go back to the, the the era of Mozart and find a patron, um, and and essentially, you know, the the whole pandemic. That's what we've done. Is is we we go through this uh, portal called Patreon. And we record a song every month. And, and there's a lot of people who are fans of the band who give us a buck a month or five bucks yeah. a month or whatever. And I think a lot of them, they just want us to keep doing it, which is great. And, and, yeah. and it, it's fantastic. And, and it's, again, there, there, there are yucky things about this internet thing, but, uh, that the ability for for you know groups like us and and a lot of different artists to connect directly with their fans and have their fans directly support you is pretty awesome. Mark, any final words or thoughts on uh, on our guest or Appalachian Spring? Yeah, I got some thoughts. I what's really cool about this is that it shows you how when you're working in the creative environment or doing a creative job, almost anything can be your inspiration, right? Like, like I would never have guessed that was what you're going to bring to the table, Mike. I wouldn't have. And I love that you did. But it could have been something else. And I would have been probably equally inspired by it. So I think that's kind of what's cool about what we're talking about and how creativity springs from many sources. And as Mike said, it, it's also just craft. So you take pieces, you learn little pieces and they go into, I call it my hamster, my hamster wheel. You know, just, <laughs> yeah. I got the idea hamster going all the time and he just gets fed on everything. Everything goes in there. Um, you never know what's going to stick though. And then some things really do. Well, here I can probably use a quote that, that may turn out to be like a whole new tangent or a great closer. The other thing I was thinking of bringing was actually a golf advice book by a golf teacher named Harvey Pennick. And his, his entire approach to teaching golf was a, a series of anecdotes about different students he taught. 
And so he had one story about uh, people had asked him like, should I get angry when, when I make a bad shot? Like it, it, it really doesn't seem like what is, what, what golf is all about. Like you, you shouldn't lose your temper. And, and his thought on that was, you know, when you hit a bad shot, you should be pissed off. You're, you want to hit a good shot, don't you? You don't want to hit a bad shot. But the key is after that. So yeah, call yourself every name in the book. Like, don't throw your clubs or whatever, but call yourself every name in the book. You deserve it. You hit a bad shot. But then stop. Because the next shot you hit might be the best shot you've ever hit in your life. And that's a line that hit me like a ton of bricks. Bam. Yes. Even though I'm shooting a 914 here on the back nine and that windmill just keeps getting in the way. This could be the taunt. Yeah. Also, why, like a, why, why Mark Twain said of golf spoils a good walk. Yeah. It does. Yeah. It, it is a good closer. It has nothing whatsoever to do with Appalachian Spring. <laughs> but uh, they're both American. Yeah, was, now there wasn't a sequel, was there? <laughs> Appalachian Summer, Appalachian yeah, Fall. Yeah, that's right. Probably, probably not, because like you said, he didn't really name it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, but he but he wrote other thing other things in that period that have a similar sound, like. You know, I will throw in like the first actual Aaron Copeland piece I ever heard was a piece called Fanfare for the Common Man, uh, which, again, is a big brass thing that you probably heard. But where did I hear it? One of the first rock bands and rock concerts I ever went to was Emerson, Lake and Palmer. (laughs) (laughs) And they did. They did that. That was the opener of set two (laughs) with Keith Emerson playing it with knives. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Probably not how he envisioned it, but it still rocked. (laughs) Thank you very much for being on this podcast. My pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Nice to see you. Oh, that was fun. You too. And now, without further ado, The Arrogant Worms and I Am Cow. Comes out my ass and out my mouth. 
listening to Recreative, a podcast about creativity. Talking to creative people from every walk of life about the art that inspires them. And you're probably wondering, how can I support this podcast? I am wondering, Joe, how can I support this podcast? I mean, apart from being on it. There's no advertisements in this podcast. There's no tip jars. There's nothing about like buying us a coffee or anything like that. But there is a way that you can support us. And what is that? It's not about supporting us. It's about supporting the people that we're talking to. I think most of the people we've talked to are artists of some description, and they probably have some kind of artistic product that you could buy. And if you enjoyed it, maybe you could review it for them. Oh, yeah. But maybe us too. Yeah, you know what? Us too. It wouldn't hurt. They could buy our books. And how do they find us? Recreative.ca. Don't forget the hyphen. There's a hyphen in there. Re-creative. I took your line. Sorry. Well, because I stole your line. <laughs> so yes, re-creative.ca. Jenks. Oh yeah, you're, that, I stole your line again. <laughs> As well, if you like what you've just heard, you could consider subscribing to the podcast. And leave a comment if you like it. Thanks for listening. Spread the word. 